Sounds like a good conversation. <laughs> this, this time of year, uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we start this every year. We start what we call Give Hope. So if you guys have been at Radius for a while, you know what we do. What we, we try to do during this season is we pool all of our resources. A bunch of you guys support Radius on a regular basis. That's how we pay the bills and keep the lights on. Uh, but at the end of the year, we, like, we pool all of our money so we can take care of folks that are needy in our community. So if you, if you can put it on your radar, Tuesdays, Giving Tuesdays, the first time we've ever done this, it'd be a chance to get on it early. We hope to put a bunch of money in the pot uh, so that we can take care of folks all throughout Lexington. If you know how this works, what we, we, in the early days, 10 years ago, we started doing this because we got frustrated with the way Christmas works out and giving at Christmas. So we decided to do this thing called Give Hope so we could actually put money where it gets to the poorest of folks in our community and be disciplined over 12 months to get it out. Ten years ago, we simply used the school district to do that, and we partnered with teachers and administrators, and they distributed it in a great way. We still have that partnership, but now we have lots of partnerships. And so we, we've got these other partners like Easy, like uh, Mission Lexington, other folks that really know folks in our community. And so, hey, we'd love for you to get in on that. We do that together. You do the math. We hope to raise $500,000 across all campuses. Ton of money, yeah. 3,000 people, so you divide, you figure out how to get in there. But yeah, get in there, right? Gamecocks started giving stuff away in the first 30 seconds last night, right? Like, <laughs> so they led the way to give hope, right? Like we had hope in the first 30 seconds, and we're thankful. So, hey, that's all I got. That's all I got. That was a good one, though. Yeah, you got to feel that. <laughs> exactly. It was the only way. We'll take it. <laughs> Multiply You is the more important topic at the moment. Uh, is a series that we've started on the book of 2 Timothy where uh, we're watching a guy named Paul who wrote the book try to pass along what he's learned from Jesus to a younger man named Timothy. If you've been with us for a little while, you've been watching this go down. And uh, he's trying to prepare this young man for the future. So on one hand, he's trying to give him the baton. He's passing the baton, a very important message that he has for the world. He wants Timothy to get it and run with it. And on the other hand, he knows it's going to be really hard. And so he's trying to prepare Timothy for suffering, even persecution. Paul himself is uh, anticipating his execution. It's around the corner. Nero is now emperor in Rome, uh, is the emperor at Rome. And so Paul's anticipating his own death, martyrdom. Um, and so he wants Timothy to be ready, not, not only carry the baton, but be ready to face the worst of the worst types of persecution. I wanted to remind us as Americans how the rest of the world is meeting this morning. So when they read 2 Timothy, they read it, they're going to read this passage that we're in right here this morning. They're going to they're gonna go, that, that's exactly where I live, right? Like some of them have given up half of their income because they are connected to Jesus Christ. In our community, you put your fish on your trailer and that'll get you business. In most of the world, that'll lose you business. As a matter of fact, it'll lose you a lot in that society. If you can imagine this morning, would you be here if you had to give up half your income to be here? That's what they're doing because they love Jesus. He saved them and they hold him high. If on the way in the door was a government official and because of your relationship with Jesus, you had to hand him your keys... I don't know what's on your keychain. I like the really simple keychain. So I got the house keys and the car keys. You had to turn that in on the way in? Or what else you got locked? Maybe that phone in your pocket. You had to turn it in on the way we still be here. 
rest of the world making those kind of decisions in certain parts of the world because they're being persecuted for their faith. There's an old story. I don't know if it's true. It's uh, told about a uh, little church that was gathering in Russia during the Cold War. And so, as you know how Russia worked during the USSR, you had the meet-in hiding when you met as a church. And so they were meeting in this somewhat of a hiding place, and KGB found them. So this group of soldiers walks in, armed, and they lined all of the people at the church up on the wall. And then they gave them the opportunity to leave if they would reject the name of Jesus. So a few of them kind of trickled out the back door, and the rest of them were standing against the wall. And it says that the leader of the KGB looked at the rest of the guys and goes, all right, let's worship now. Like real believers are here. A great way for us to just look at ourselves for a minute this morning, if you would, just tell yourself the truth. What would I have done if I were up against that wall? It'll prepare you for worship. It'll prepare you for this passage. It'll prepare you for a very patient God to meet you in the middle of right, right where you are. So let me pray, and we're going to pray for the church and the rest of the world. And we're going to pray for our hearts. You good? Jesus, we know uh, folks in all time, time zones, and they're meeting morning, day, and night, so I don't know if they're meeting right now, but uh, folks all over Asia are meeting and hiding because they can't do this publicly like we can. Bless them this morning, Lord. Give them a great day of worship. Give them joy being together. Protect them, Lord, from persecution even this morning. The rest of the world, Lord, some have freedom and some do not. You know that your spirit is not limited by what governments do. So we pray that you move mightily across the world today. And right here in this town where we have freedom to go where we please and sit in a room like this and feel safe, Lord, we worship you. Help us see our hearts. Lord, we want to be willing to suffer on your behalf. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in chapter 3, this book. Um, it's a letter written from Paul to a guy named Timothy, and it's four chapters wrong, that long. That's how the, the, the writers broke it down after the fact. Paul wrote it, and then folks had put it together, put it in chapters so we all know where they are. This is chapter 3. Let me, let me just start with verse 5, and then we'll talk about, there's nine verses. We'll talk about the verses all around. Verse 9, I mean, verse 5. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. I thought that was the verse when I read this passage. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. I don't know what you did during the game last night. I watched it at the house, and I'm a Clemson fan, so I had two words. I said them probably 100 times. Run it. <laughs> Run the football. I just kept saying it over and over. Cheryl's in another room decorating because it stresses her out to actually watch the game probably because of my attitude. But I'm like, just run the ball. And if you're a Carolina fan, I know what you were saying. Throw it. Or you might have been saying block, but like throw it. So like, like throw the What are we doing? Why are we? The kid's concussed. He can barely stand up. We're going to keep giving him the ball. Like we don't have a better plan. 
And we're going back and forth. We got these statements that we make. We make them brief, especially if we're a little fired up and trying to get our team or our family online. We've been doing that with 2 Timothy. I, I, I've walked you through kind of what Paul has said, and I've said it in the, the basketball stands many times. Be strong, beginning of chapter 2. Be strong. I always say that on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I say work hard or just work. That works great from the stands. Younger parents, write this stuff down. You can use it later, right? <laughs> and we get to this passage, and Paul says something every parent says to their kids uh, at some point. You say it around a sport because it impacts their performance. You say it about life all the time. But you, you, you capture this idea of separation, and you say, uh, stay away. Stay away. As a parent, like you say that all sorts of different ways. But you're trying to protect your kids from influences that might lead them the wrong direction. When it's a sport, you just don't want them to, like, follow the lazy kid. Usually the cool kid's lazy and he's never going to be good, like, because like, he's lazy. And stay away from that. Don't, don't get caught up in that. But at school and, and all throughout life, and that applies all the way to later in life, to stay away from certain influences, Right? In our society, we call them bad influences, bad influencers, if you will. The new popular term, are you an influencer? So when you read this passage, he says they will act religious, but they reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from the influencers. It applies to everybody in the room. So let me explain that verse by going back to verse 1 and then kind of working our way through the passage. He speaks to Timothy, calls his name. He, he, the, the name Timothy is written in this book five or six times. It's pretty cool. It's this intimate relationship between a mentor and a mentee. And he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. He uh, uses this phrase, last days. It often gets Christians kind of fired up about last days. Is Jesus coming back? And our big word from last week, eschatology. We start talking about eschatology. It's not really where he's going here. As a matter of fact, last days throughout the New Testament is generally not quite that dramatic, like it's the very last days. It actually seems to indicate from the day of Pentecost where God sent his Holy Spirit after Jesus had died, buried, been risen again, ascended into heaven. God sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost all the way to the day. We call those the last days. So it's a big period of time. There's this assumption that at the end of the last days, things will get worse, right? So they'll get worse over time. But when, when Paul says last days here, he's talking about this huge block of time. Now, when you get to the end, like, like Gamecock fans and Clemson fans, this year as the season was kind of unfolding, it wasn't working, and you, people start griping about the coaches, and you go, are these the last days? Right, like it's, it's Beamer or it's Dabo, it's, oh, we almost to the end. It's, it's, a non, it's an ongoing thing. And so for believers, there's always this question, are things going to get really bad at the end? Yes, they're going to get really bad at the end, according to the scriptures. But in this passage where he says last days, he's talking about this big block of time. So he says, in the last days, there will be very difficult times. One translation says perilous times, a little more dramatic. John Calvin, a theologian from many years ago, he wrote this. We should note what the hardness or danger of this time is in Paul's view to be. Not war, not famine or diseases, nor any of the other calamities or ills that befall the body, but the wicked and depraved ways of men. What Calvin's saying, which is what Paul's saying in the passage, hey, 
These are the last days. They are perilous times, not because there's earthquakes and pandemics and all kind of chaos. It's because of men, men and women, and who they've always been since the fall. When they live how they want to live, it just creates perilous times, and then he unpacks it. I read one way, that, it depends on how you count these, but 19 different ways that you and I, men and women, create these perilous times. So I'll just walk through them with you uh, fairly quickly, if you will. He starts with this statement. As a matter of fact, let me do this. Let me read these three verses, and if you will, like you can read them from the screen and let them wash over you. If you're a veteran Christian, as you listen to them, let them, let them wash over you as a veteran Christian. If you're a, a, a brand new believer, you probably have a little different view as you see him. If you've been saved for just a few years, like, let them wash over. If you haven't met Jesus yet and you're just visiting, great to have you here, and you're trying to evaluate what is this group of people and who is this Jesus, like, examine them from your view. Let's, let's just read them together, and then we'll kind of work our way back through them. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at job, God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. How did it? How did it? Wash over you. How did it feel reading that list of 19 or so things? I'm a veteran believer. I've known Jesus a long time, as many in the room have. And I read that this week, and it was convicting. My first response was not, that's about somebody else. It was about, that's about me. And I would just put in front of you, it's about you. There's this, there's this question in my mind as I'm reading it, my relationship with the Lord. Have I allowed the influencers to cause me to slide? Have I slid? Have I slid away from holding Christ the proper high spot? So I examine myself, and I will as we go through this passage. For some of you that are brand new believers, you're reading that, and you're like, that was me. And you got a smile on your face, and you're going, man. It's just a good reminder of where I was, and you, you might have a long ways to go, but you remember where you were a couple years ago, and, and like you're moving away from this love for self, and you're like, there's a celebration. When you come take bread and juice in a little bit, you ought to lead the way because it's a celebration that you've been set free. And for those of us that have known Jesus a long time, we love having you here. You remind us what we've been freed from, and it, you, you give us energy and, and excitement about taking that good news to others. And for those of you that may not have yet met Jesus, um, and you're just trying to figure this thing out. You may have heard that list, and I could imagine you may have read it and said, oh, I'm so tired of that. I'm so tired of seeing that, of being around people who are that long list. I would say to you this morning, I have some good news for you. Even as I examine myself and question myself on a few of those things, that have I slid, am I sliding I have this freedom that Jesus gave me by dying on the cross that I want you to hear. I want you to have. That's why, that's what we're about here at Radius. 
We want folks that haven't met him to have this freedom and not have that weight of heaviness right on. Let's, let's walk through them. We'll go through them one at a time. I'll have to hurry through some of them. But you can't miss that the very first one seems to be the one that all the rest are built out of. What does it say? For people will love only themselves. I love the way the NLT put only in there. They will love only themselves. All these others flow out of love for self. You talk about a crazy time in a nation where we're unashamed to say, I love myself, right? The influencers, this is the message. You turn on the TV and watch a little NFL football today and watch how many commercials are about loving self. I just decided to do a little research since I'm not that up to date. I looked at the top 25 songs on self-love. Ladies in the room, this ought to hit you. All 25 were sung by a lady. It's interesting. Most of them, you know, reflecting on some sort of breakup and reassuring themselves of who they were. Matter of fact, like number seven was, uh, was Taylor Swift singing, me, he, he. You know, she's going, so it's kind of a fun song. They're not all terrible, but it's all about love self. I know she can't sing like that, but it's just... So I got to the house, I'm like, I can't just pick on the ladies. I need a guy. So I said, JT, give me a song that somebody uh, your age has written that's, that's uh, been written by a dude that's about this. And there's this Jake with a V guy again who's writing a bunch of stuff. And they got his video up, and he brings it to me and shows it to me. And here's the song. You love you, I love me, that uh, that why this works perfectly. No, we're not stressed about our insecurities, because you love you and I love me. That's literally a song. It's got this little video. It's a cartoon video. And it's a guy and a girl, and they look in the mirror the whole, the whole show. I mean, the whole video. I'm like, you talk about insecure. <laughs> like, you're saying our insecurities won't get exposed is what you're saying, but you're like, you're actually crazy insecure when it's all about loving self. And you listen to the song, you're like, that's kind of funny, sad. Terrell Owens the great theologian, T.O., <laughs> football player, for those of y'all don't know, back in the day, uh, he said, I love me some me. And I was like, that is terrific. How did you come up? I love me some me. But that is the mantra of our society. Seriously, you watch a little TV this afternoon. Look on your phone. There's going to be this argument for loving self. And as you read this passage, the writer is saying, a society full of people that love themselves is a perilous. Those are perilous times. It's a terrible time to live because everybody takes for themselves. And then he connects it with an and. And we probably ought to study it. For people will love only themselves and their money. Wow. He gets right in our business out the gate. Love only themselves and their money. I don't know how y'all had Thanksgiving. We had a great time at Thanksgiving and hung out with the family. We got a lot of people in our family at the moment. And so we're all around the table, and we sat and ate for a little while. Kind of toward the end, Cheryl looked at the table, and she goes, all right, everybody say something they've been thankful for. So we start working around the table. It takes a while at our house to get to me, so I'm kind of toward the end, and I'm trying to represent what I'm thankful for. It's just interesting. Like, it's easy in a society with so much stuff, I was thankful for the relationships. I'm thankful for some stuff that's happened this year. But rarely am I thankful for the house that I live in or the car that I drive or 
the food that we're actually eating out. We're disciplined to say we're thankful, but really, do I really go, thank you? I have thanked the Lord that that suburban's still running at times. Like, but like there's, there's like this attitude of thanks about stuff that's really interesting. So in America, our hope was on Thanksgiving, like that thing was designed for us to say on Thursday that I have enough. Thank you. And what's Friday? Black Friday. More. I need more. Like I was good yesterday, but today I got to have me some more. And there's some crazy people out there, especially if you go to Walmart, right? Like there's some crazy people trying to get one more thing seeking happiness. And then you come to church on Sunday, and what happens? I got enough. We're going to come up and take bread and juice here in a little bit, and you come up and you say unto the Lord, I have enough. My identity's in Christ. Your body was broken. Your blood was spilled. I have enough. And what happens on Monday? Cyber Monday. Right back on you. I need more to be happy. Tuesday's coming. Giving Tuesday, it's another chance to say, I got enough. It's a chance to take your resources and give them to somebody else. And I'll just say this really clearly. If you don't have any left by giving Tuesday, then the influencers have gotten to you. They're stealing your life. They've gotten to you. The lady I read this week said, shopping is our drug of choice. I looked up the top 10 websites. Uh, I, I was fascinated with this influencer thing. And you kind of go down the list. It's a variety. Number four, the first couple is like Google. Yeah, duh, obviously they're there. A couple of them, I didn't even know what they meant. But then you come Amazon. Just come down like, like shopping is our drug of choice. Like they, I, I got to have more to be happy. Paul just rolls through this list with young Timothy, warning him about the influencers and this tidal wave of influence coming from all different directions that would argue against the ultimate influencer, Christ. Here's what he says. I'll read you a few more. They'll be boastful and proud and scoffing at God. We did a series a little bit ago. We talked about masculinity two Sundays. We tried to give a biblical view of masculinity and how God made male and female equal but distinct and we kind of try to walk up. There's a lot of dudes right now talking via podcast about masculinity. Some of it's pretty toxic. It's a dude named Andrew Tate. He's really smart. He's electric, but he's boastful and he's proud in some ways. And in some ways, he's scoffing at God by holding masculinity so high. We got folks doing that for femininity, too. It's just taking our eyes off of the creator and placing it on the creation. He does it in a masterful way, and men all over the country are, are, are coming to these podcasts because we don't know who we are, and so we want somebody to tell us who we are, just anybody but God. He goes on. He says, folks will be in the perilous times, the worst of worst times. Folks will be disobedient to their parents. Isn't that interesting? How when... The authority of the home starts going away. Everything starts going away. Teachers in the room want me to preach the whole sermon on this one. So the parents will stop blaming them for their jacked up kids. Disobedient to their parents. And I think it's really interesting that he, the, the, that he connects it with and ungrateful. Oh, in a society that has so much, we certainly have a group of kids that are entitled. Generally, parents, that's our fault. We built this thing. Our society drives it. The influencers all say it. And then when we bow to it, then we create this entitled society. 
speaking about our kids, I'm speaking about us, like we're owed something. Like it ought to be given to me. I shouldn't have to work for it. It's sneaky. Nobody in the room's exempt. Don't be thinking about them, right? Think about like you. I was examining that here in the recent, recent months. I read a book by a guy named George Mueller. I've read it many times. He's one of my favorite people in history. If you want to be convicted, read a little of George Mueller's biography. He's a great man who would, uh, to simplify his life, he'd pray with faith for resources, and he built these orphanages. He built these orphanages with those resources. And in his autobiography, they actually take his journal and they publish it, and it's day after day. He will write down every gift that he gets. It's interesting. If he gets a dollar, he puts it in his journal, and he thanks the Lord for it. He gets $100, thanks the Lord for it. And you see him on different dates. He gets $1,000, he thanks the Lord for it. He gets $100,000, he thanks the Lord for it. And it's all the same. He's thanking the Lord for the dollar and $100,000. It's really fun to watch. It was convicting to read again and go through it. And I'm like, I, I, am I? Acting entitled? So I've started simple for me. You guys, thank you so much that give at Radius and help make this whole thing go. I get a report every Saturday on Saturday morning. It comes into my inbox. And I've thought for years, I've looked at that and thought about that, and I've never consistently thanked the Lord for it. So whatever the amount, $1, $100,000, I write in my journal, and I just work to get myself to a place. Lord, thank you. Not just for the people that are being generous, but for your generosity. Connecting it back to him, it's good for my soul. How's that work in your house, in your checkbook, and you get paid? Now, yeah, you're working for it, but we live in a marvelous time of resources. Are you grateful? The simple line in there that I thought was really interesting, he says, they will consider nothing sacred. Could not help but think about marriage when I read that line. He says there will be unloving and unforgiving. I can't think about a more miserable place to be than with a group of people who are unloving and unforgiving. And then he says uh, they will slander others and have no self-control. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Mine is the election. I'm like, oh, we got to do this again. Like, I know our forefathers were smart and all, but we got to listen to these jokers act like middle school kids and slander each other and, and carry on for a whole year before this election. Grown men and women slander and show very little self-control. And then, you know, it just goes. I mean, I, I can't I have time for all of them. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what's good. They'll betray their friends. That's a hard one. Be reckless. Be puffed up with pride and love ple pleasure rather than God. The, the message, translate that last little bit. They'll be addicted to pleasure and allergic to God. What a time, right? Paul's writing about his time, and he's warning, warning Timothy about it right then. You feel like it applies to us in our time? I hope that with some humility, you went through that list and you felt it personally. You felt like, man, I need to hear that and be reminded that the influencers are making all sorts of noise. And there's this fear, verse 5, they will act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. They would not allow the Holy Spirit to push back against the influencers. 
and enable us to go another way. I'll read you this. It's, it's a hard read. Some of you that are a little older in the room, you remember Dear Abby? Some of you a little older in the room remember what a newspaper is, right? Like, like that's where Dear Abby was. It's a little column. Here's a little quote from Dear Abby back in the day. A 63-year-old married woman wrote to Dear Abby to justify her adultery, she writes. He's also married. We meet once a week at a motel for three hours of heaven. My husband knows nothing about this, neither does my lover's wife. Sex with my husband is even better now. It's not as though I'm denying my husband anything. I teach a class at church every week, but for some reason, I feel no guilt. That might feel far off to some of you. For some of you, you know exactly what that's all about. The writer says, they will act religious but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. One of the translators, instead of saying act religious, actually says it's a form of religion, which I really thought was great. I mean, you go to a Taylor Swift concert, right? They are devoted followers. They're dedicated. She's an influencer. I'm not throwing her under the bus. We go down our list. Like, go down our list of folks. Top three influencers, uh, Selena Gomez, I think, was number three. Kylie Jenner was number one. And the soccer player, good-looking soccer player. What's that dude's name? See, y'all know a lot of good-looking soccer players. I only, I only know one. Wow, all right. Ronaldo, is that his name? Ronaldo, yeah. Those top three. I mean, you, you poll a bunch of them. Those top three influencers online, like, they have this devoted group of followers, and they influence. Some of them for fashion, some of them for a variety of things. They have this crazy influence on the right and the left. Politically, they have this rabid group of people, right, that are so bought in with their cash and with their life and with their mouth. They're devoted followers. You can find a gang member that's connected to a good gang in his mind, that's led by a gang leader, and he's devoted to the cause of the gang. He was sacrificed his life for the gang. Just go down the list. You got to ask this question, who's influencing you? What really scares me is when one of these influencers starts to use Jesus' name in their rhetoric, starts to blur the lines between following Jesus and following them for their cause. Let me remind you where we were. Second Timothy, we finished it last week. We really didn't get to these verses, but at Radius, like when we're saying stay away from influencers, well, I want to be as clear as I can be, and yet we call ourselves Radius because we want to know and love our neighbors. So we're supposed to separate ourselves with the influencers, but we're supposed to be in it with our neighbors. He says it in the passage. It sets up these verses, and if you know how the Bible was written, Second Timothy was just written straight through. There were no chapters. So chapter 2 leads into chapter 3, and here's what leads into chapter 3. This is uh, verse 23. And again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Who, who are those people? <laughs> They're on your aisle. <laughs> They're on your street. They're near your cubicle. Right? That, that's where they are. 
He says, be, be patient with difficulty. Why? Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Like you and me, we're the representatives of truth. We can't let the influencers drive us away from what we know. Veteran believers in the world, are you sliding? It's killing the folks in your radius when you slide. And how does he close it? Then they will come to their senses and escape what the, from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You get this picture of this influence that's really being driven by the enemy, by Satan. Not, not the individual players necessarily, but driven by Satan, pushing people away from the truth about Jesus. And there's this call in the passage, in this part of the passage, to say to those of us that know him, hey, check yourself. Stay away from the influencers. We got work to do. This world needs your voice. So if you will with me, he says, be strong, work hard, and stay away. This is a great day for all of us to examine ourselves. He gives us two metaphors to wrap it up. I'll read them to you briefly to explain what staying away or what not staying away might look like, really. Verse 6, he actually takes some women in that society, and he makes them the metaphor. And, and uh, verse uh, 8, he's going to take two guys from history, from Jewish history. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes. The influencers are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. Ladies in the room, as opposed to being offended by this, just don't be this. Like, don't be this. Did you catch that line? He says, the influencers work their way into people's homes, like the ultimate place. They work their way into our pockets now. Like, it's on us. They want us to deal with the influence all the time. And so what's the writer saying? <laughs> Don't be like that. Don't be vulnerable. Like, like in verse 7, it's really interesting. He says, such women are forever following new teachings. There's always something new. There's always a new influence. Or they're always talking about what somebody else said. There's always one more thing to want. There's always one more thing that would possibly make me happy. One more thing. But they're never able to really understand the truth. Truth about a God that will meet you in your brokenness, that uh, meets all the demands with his own broken body and blood, as opposed to demanding you change who you are to follow their influence. Jesus is going to demand that you change, but he's going to get you there by making the change. And then he uses these two guys from the Old Testament. If Russell was here, this would have been the whole sermon, right? He, he would be loving this. <laughs> These teachers oppose the truth just as Janice and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as was with Janice and Jambres. Back in the day, if you remember this story, Moses comes to Egypt and he wants his people set free. So he comes into Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, set my people free. What does Pharaoh say? No. So Moses has got this rod and Moses taps the rod and it turns into a snake and Pharaoh's like that's pretty cool 
And then this, these two dudes, these magicians, Janice and Jammers, they're standing over like, that ain't nothing. I can do that. Pharaoh's guys, they're his advisors. And they take theirs and they stack. And, and, and then there's two snakes on the floor, three total, right? They both make a snake and they're like, you ain't got nothing, Moses. Now, the cool part is Moses' snake then ate their snakes. I'm like, that's bad to the bone right there. <laughs> Moses picks all three of them up like, how you like me now? Like, I love that stuff, right? But then, then Moses goes to the Nile. This is one of the most dramatic miracles in all the Bible in my mind. He turns the water into blood. It's a crazy story. If you haven't read it, you have to go back to the Old Testament. He turns the water into blood. And then here's Janice and Jambers, and they got their little buckets, and they turn them into blood. They ain't nothing. I could have done that. See, I've turned the water into blood. They're doing it a different way. A lot of folks would go a satanic way. They're making stuff happen. Mark my words. The influencers have power. Don't act like they don't have power. They make you feel a certain way. They make you feel important. It can be a friend in your network. It could be a, a person at, at school, on the job. They make you feel a certain way. These guys, man, Pharaoh's like, yeah, we, we got this. And then the story goes on. If you know, there's 10 flags. It starts with frogs. Moses is like, I'm going to bring some frogs on. I don't know if you've ever had a bunch of frogs outside your house, but even if they don't get in the house, it's miserable. They're just, you know, bellowing out noise. You can't sleep, and all these frogs come on Egypt, and Pharaoh's freaking out. And sure enough, Janice and Jammers, they produce some frogs. That's their last one. Then they check out. Moses brings the gnats, and I don't know what you think about gnats, but I hate some gnats. Moses brings on the gnats, and, and Janice and Jammers, I'm out. We can't make it gnats. And they don't seem too complicated. They couldn't do it, and... So, like, you got this really interesting interaction between God working through Moses and Aaron and Janison and Jammers, the, the great magicians of Egypt, where they can't match the power of God. Well, as legend has it, and you can read some guys that write about this, some folks would say that Janison and Jammers, over the course of all those plagues, eventually believed in the God of Moses and Aaron. But what's interesting is most of these writers would say they only made it to the Red Sea. So they believed when, when all these plagues were going, they're like, that's got to be the God because I can't make some gnats, right? Like, I can't, I can't do all these things that their God does. So they decided to follow, and they actually, as the story goes, they exited with the, the Israelites as they left Egypt and got all the way to the Red Sea. And when they saw the Red Sea, Baals, they did not have the faith that would have them walk between the waters to get to the other side. They would not have stood against the wall. KGB had them up on the side and said, do you believe in Jesus or not? They kind of like this thing. They like the power connected to Christianity or to Jesus or Yahweh in the Old Testament, but they were not willing to truly suffer for the sake of Christ. So after all that, what's the truth about you? What's the truth about you? That's what Timothy's trying to get at. What are your five biggest influencers? Like, be honest. Like, all of you, like, in Sunday school class, everybody's saying, Jesus, Jesus, like, all five, right? No, 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 be honest. I'm down. I hope he's number one. Just, let's just for a minute, be honest, and then we're going to take bread and juice, and we're going to worship the one who's influenced everything by his death and made a way for us. He'll meet you in the middle of those five. As a matter of fact, in, in the New Testament, when folks took the bread and juice, they took it really serious, and they would confess their sins. When they come and take it, especially after Paul confronts them in 1 Corinthians, like, take a minute and go, here's the five, and I want to bring them to you, Jesus. Because I know you died to set me free from these influences. Meet me right now and, and confess and say, I'm sorry for 
for, for those of y'all that are veteran Christians and you read this passage like I did and I can feel a slide in there. I've given a little bit too much ear to some of that out there. So just say you're sorry. He'll meet you there. That's the beauty of Jesus. He meets you right there. But those of y'all that have been saved, like you're feeling some freedom from that, come up here. You can dance all the way up here if you want. Then dance at the back, like set, show, show what's changed and the freedom that you have from just being consumed with yourself. For those of y'all haven't yet believed in Jesus, watch us. This is a room full of folks. You know us. We're flawed, broken even. And yet we have this hope because of the blood of Jesus that he can meet us in our sin. And, and he met us in our sin at the cross and made us, we believe, we come to him righteous. Not because we did anything, but because of his work on the cross. So this for us on a Sunday, we're doing what he told us to do. We remember him because we have this great hope in Jesus, which is supposed to give us a freedom and a rest. Watch us, if you will. In the end, when the last days finally close out, Isaiah says, every knee will bow. Jesus quotes him in the Gospels, and he says, at the very end, every knee will bow. This same guy that wrote 2 Timothy in Philippians, he says, in the end, everybody's going to figure it out. Do you see it in the passage? He actually says about Janice and Jimmy, Some, someday everyone will recognize every knee will bow. Whether you want to or not, he's going to show himself for who he is. And when Jesus shows himself for who he is, you can't stand up. You got to get on your knees. And for some of us, we've been there. It'll be comfy. We've been on our knees. For others, that'll be a horrible day. Jesus, we love you. Many of us, you've saved us from our sins, and we're thankful. So help us worship now, Lord, even as we work through our lives and we try to be honest just for a minute and acknowledge the influences on our life, help us see the truth about ourselves. Lord, we do not want to take this bread and juice in the wrong way. So help us confess those truths to you now, Lord. Meet us in it, please, Lord. We pray even as we walk out of here, lead us not into temptation. For some that you've saved recently, Lord, and we watch them, and it's fun to see their life change and them enjoy this freedom from loving themselves and instead being consumed more with you and loving you and even loving their neighbors, Lord, pray that they just celebrate that transformation as they take bread and juice, meet them, remind them of how good that is. And we pray all the time for those that haven't met you yet, Lord, we want them to have this great freedom we have. We've got words that we try to represent that good news with, but ultimately, Holy Spirit, you are the one that transforms. So meet them. In these minutes as we sing, pray in Jesus' name.